Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, Achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk with me, Al Murray, and James Holland, of course. And where are we, Jim? Well, we're at the D-Day Story in Portsmouth, which is a fabulous museum. Yeah. Uh, recently completely redeveloped, um, and very brilliantly so too. And it's an absolutely fantastic place to come it and visit. It boasts such interesting stuff. I mean, obviously, the sort of the marquee headline uh, item is the, is, uh, the Landingcraft tank out front. Yes. But there's also the... the, uh, the the D-Day tapestry here, the embroidery, which is yes. really beautiful yep. and fascinating work of art. But also, well, I think what's so brilliant about it is they haven't tried to do too much. I mean, it is a big, you know, it's not a small museum at all, but it's very kind of human story. Big subject, though. Big subject, uh, very human story driven, and it, it's an absolute treat, this, this museum. Yep. It really is really, really very good. And so who are we here with, James? Well, we're here with the assistant creator. You can see why I was sort of building that one up. <laughs> Assistant creator of the new development, James Daly. But we're actually not going to talk to you about the museum, really. We're, we're, we're here to discuss, yes, <laughs> airborne operations. Yes, yeah, but not, but <laughs> but not the elephant operations. in the room. Not the elephant in the room. No, uh, we're not going to mention it. Not going to mention it. Um, James, welcome. <laughs> Good afternoon. Um, uh, uh, but we might talk about Browning. We, well, we're going to inevitably talk about Browning um, because it's, it's impossible not to. Um, James, uh, First of all, we love the museum. How long have you been involved with the museum? Oh, I, I, this was where I actually f- did my first ever day of work. I walked in here when I was 16, um, working on the front of house. Um, and then I was the assistant curator when we did the redevelopment for about five years, which was an amazing, you know, once-in-a-lifetime kind of job to do. So quite a long time. Wow, incredible. And what's your one favourite, if there was one thing that's your must-see exhibit here? Oh, God, we're not meant to have favourites. <laughs> but the, the coat... Um, that Betty, what Betty White's coat is a coat that a little girl in Gosport um, wore, and she, when the troops were going past her house to the embarkation point, she got badges and um, things like that from the troops, and her mum sewed them onto her coat. So oh. it's kind of like a chronicle of all the troops that went past her house. And I just love the fact that in a military museum, our, one of our most well-known objects was owned by a five-year-old girl. It does just say that D-Day mm. isn't just a twenty-something male story; it's an everyone. Yeah. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. But you've been researching something else. I have, yes. I'm not going to... I won't do it justice if I say what it is, nor will Jim. What is your... Because this is just so exciting that we're going to talk to someone about this. What what, what are we here to talk to you about? So, I've always been interested in the operations that the airborne operations that didn't happen between D-Day and Arnhem that the 1st Airborne Division were lined up for. Um, I'd always wanted to do something about Arnhem. My granddad's an Arnhem veteran, was an Arnhem veteran, sorry. And I'd always wanted to do something about it. But, I mean, Arnhem's been done to death so much. Trying to yeah. find anything new is quite hard. And then I worked here, obviously, and um, I watched the film. And there's a great bit in the film where Browning refers to how many operations had been cancelled. Yeah. And it twigged in me. I thought, we don't know hardly, we know hardly anything about what those operations were going to be. They're mentioned very briefly in most of the general books. Yeah, most, most Arnhem books have, have an introductory chapter which sort of 
does a genesis of airborne forces usually yeah. like trots through that um uh why are we here kind of thing yeah touches on touches on north africa touches on sicily although very often not really they don't really look too deeply at sicily at trying to hold a bridge and not being relieved by eighth army for instance i mean you know they've got form for this sort of thing happening but you always get a paragraph which says or a couple of paragraphs which says the great frustration amongst the men 17 operations planned and cancelled but they and sometimes Linnet gets a name check, and then there's Comet 1, Comet 2, and sometimes Wild Oats, which is the plan to drop uh, First Airborne on, on Carpique, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. Yeah. So this, in Normandy, uh, and which Tedder nixes and Monty calls him a gutless bugger, there's all that going on. But really, there's never anything much more than a paragraph about this, isn't there? No, not really, no. And I think often they are misunderstood in terms of... Um, the as you say the effect that they had um, so um, it's amazing there is a, a huge amount of planning documents about these um, so one of the operations hands up which is one of the lesser known ones um, there's a ridiculous amount of paper at queue at the National Archives that I'm, I'm still wading through um, yeah. because it, essentially it's a almost an army level operation in Brittany involving um, pattern of all people who would have been commanding Browning, which would have been an interesting, Whoa. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> an interesting Whoa. situation, wouldn't it? But um, there's a hu- I mean, a lot of these operations have got a lot more paper went into them than Market Garden did, right? Um, so, but I don't think anyone's really ever looked at it. And yeah, because what? Because they have more time to plan them. Yeah, and I think I guess also as well, there's probably the people probably have probably haven't looked at it because they think, well, if it didn't happen, it doesn't matter. But actually, it built it. It's the missing link between... Well, especially especially if you consider, and we, I mean, we said we weren't going to mention it, we are going to mention it, but Market Garden is Comet uh, Comet 2 expanded, isn't it? Is Comet, Comet, Comet 1, Comet 2 sort of blown up, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, so that they're very much using planning that they've already done, and they're very much sort of cannibalising pre-existing operations, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, some of the assumptions that we have about Market Garden, looking at Comet... Um, to a large extent, does blow them open a little bit because the drop zones that they used for Market Garden had already been identified for Comet. Yeah. So the film, for example, gives the impression that um, that all happens in that week before Market Garden. Actually, you know, that thing about how far they were from the drop zones, whether there was going to be a coup de man, yeah. um, avoiding flak, they're all things that um, were incorporated into yeah. Comet. Yeah, and, 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 and First Parachute Brigade's routes are all, are all Comet. You know, Lathbury just uses the same plan, doesn't he? Yeah. To bother I mean, writing a new one. Yeah, very little changes. Um, the only thing you do find is there were actually coup, glider coup demands for Comet. Yeah. Um, which, for some, re- um, for some unknown reason, were scrubbed for Market Garden. Yeah. But who's, who's doing this planning? Um, and, you know, D- D-Day, of course, has the, the incredibly famously successful... Uh, you know, uh, Optonga and all that, 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 that six airborne pull off, although obviously it doesn't all go according to plan and, and in fact only really one part of it goes according to plan and the, the rest is improvised and they're relieved within 24 hours and all that sort of stuff. Who's doing this planning? Who's overseeing it? Is there, is there an outfit that does that or is it, has Browning got a headquarters? Is, I mean, what's going on? Um, it's pretty much everyone. Everyone's got a finger in the airborne pie, which in some respects adds to the complication and that's why there's so much paper because at the start you've got HQ airborne troops who are part of 21st army group yeah. and they start off very much as a an administrative stroke policy 
um, headquarters, kind of similar to how you have a Royal Armoured Corps or Royal Engineer headquarters in 21st Army Group. Over time, they become much more operational, and Browning starts to um, turns himself into a corps commander. Um, but everyone's got an interest in Airborne um, because it's like the new toy. Yeah. Um, Eisenhower has got Marshall and Arnold in Washington who are really pushing him to um, do some really outlandish operations and he has the courage to actually say no. Uh, Montgomery thinks he knows all about Airborne but probably doesn't. Yep. Um, Dempsey is a much more of an Airborne thinker than the historiography gives him credit for. That's interesting. Um, before... Um, not D-Day, he gets O'Connor to run an exercise, Exercise Wake, which really put, they really put a lot of thought into how you use an airborne division as part of the breakout. Right. Um, and that's, that, that, that's been misunderstood by historians as well as implying that that's what they were actually going to do. It was more a case of trying to work out what the problems were going to be, what were the challenges going to be in planning it. But um, Dempsey was much more of a thinker than historiography gives him credit for. So they're, they're thinking, because after all, the... the Six Airborne, uh, their role is plugged in to Overlord right from the start. That's what they're raised for. They're, and, and they're, you know, Gale is a different faction, isn't he, as it were, within the Airborne uh, setup to, to Browning. He's, a much more of a, he's much more of a thinker. He's a practical guy. He's involved in forming the first parachute brigade, isn't he? He is, And yeah. all that sort of stuff, rather than the sort of... Kind of, he comes across, and this may be this is my impression, as much more sort of a soldier, solid soldier involved in it, rather than like an operator like Browning. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think it's interesting that the planning for Six Airborne Division doesn't involve Browning at all, uh, or very, very little. Um, Gale works with Crocker um, as part of the First Corps plan. So that's really interesting thinking about how Browning didn't have had hardly any role in that at all. Yet when it came to what First Airborne Division were going to do after D Day, Browning is almost micromanaging Urquhart. Well, 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 how, well, what's Why? going on? Why? Why? Because after all, what's his obsession with First Airborne as opposed to Sixth? I mean, I, I wonder whether it's to do with the fact that Browning had commanded First Airborne. Um, yeah, maybe. Whether, whether he really wanted that operational experience on his CV. Um, I did find reference in Gordon Walch's um, memoirs, who was Browning's chief of staff, that when Hopkinson, who commanded First Airborne in Italy, was killed, Browning practically begged the war office to be able to take over, and he was turned down flat. So it suggests that he was kind of almost pining for. Well, because he kind of because he kind of got he was trying to get to the top of it all the time, wasn't he? So uh, 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 and uh, in Sicily, in, in the run up to Sicily, doesn't he? he sort of changes his. Uh, what his role is, doesn't he? Kind of without telling anyone. And uh, uh, there was Browning. Browning. He's sort of boostering his. Well, he, title, beca- he becomes he? A, he becomes airborne adv- allied airborne advisor exactly. to, to Eisenhower, mm. which basically you know, and he he's no question about it that he reads that as I'm now in charge of airborne, yeah, allied airborne, including America. Yeah, I mean, it, it's because uh, obviously there's a second out there, out there yeah. in the Mediterranean and the first. Yeah, I mean he's he's stir- he's stirring the pot and trying to. Empire build, basically, isn't he? He is, and I think it's it's important to recognise that up to a certain point, Browning probably was the quite was a good person to get yeah. airborne forces to a certain level in Whitehall yeah. and in the War Office because he's well connected. He's a pusher. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah. ambitious for it. Yeah, definitely. As well but as then, himself. but then, no, 
it's almost like nobody sits down and makes a decision, okay, this guy was probably really good at getting them to a certain point, but that doesn't mean he's going to be the right person to command in action. also because people just don't, you know, the senior command doesn't really understand airport operations because it's so new. <laughs> oh. You know, so you're depending on people who, who are there, and if Brown has got himself into a position where he's advisor to Eisenhower, then he's sort of well, saying, oh, ass- no, no, it's fantastic. But you can absolutely trust You're going to assume he knows what he's talking about, aren't you? you, you, you oh, I am assuming it, yeah, but I yeah, think there's a pretty... No, but you know what I mean. If you're Eisenhower or whoever, you're going to assume Browning knows what he's talking, talking about, about, don't you? Mm-hmm. Because why wouldn't he? Because he's the guy that raised it, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, and it, because he's, a, he's his advisor on yeah. everyone, and that's mm-hmm. been appointed by, you know, who's Eisenhower to question that? Yeah. I mean... I think one of the problems with Browning as well in the run-up between D-Day and Arnhem is that his advice does seem to waver quite a lot. So the 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 thing about how long an airborne division can survive without, before it's relieved, before every operation he seems to change his mind about how many days or even weeks that might take. One of the operations in Brittany, I think it's hands up, he cites um, two weeks for an airborne division to exist oh, bloody hell. on its own. Um, and that would, you know, it'd be a similar sort of distance to... Market Garden, and I think it's hard. It's hard to escape the conclusion that he didn't really know. It's kind of yeah. He doesn't really know what he's yeah. talking about because he actually hasn't done it, and no one's done it. And that's the point, mm. isn't it? I mean, not even the Germans. I mean, Germans have done various airborne operations, but not on that scale. Don't. Yeah. No. And then we come into the the balance, which I think is the crux of these airborne operations. That they want to use the airborne forces on something really um, daring and risky, and that's going to really have a strategic. Yeah. end but they don't want to do something that's too risky that it will fail so the actual op- <laughs> windows of opportunity that they've got to use them are so so small that that's why they don't use them on some operations where they possibly could have done yeah. and then they probably feel pressured into using them when they maybe shouldn't have done yes because there's always the thing about they you know burning a hole in Shafe's pocket and all that sort of thing but but when you say there's a lot of paperwork for hands up They've got an, have they got an air plan together? They've got, uh, uh, you know, do they re- and, and with that one, do they reach the stage of going to implane? Because that's always the thing in these, in these two paragraphs or these opening yeah. chapters of, of, of Market Garden books is, you know, we'd, we'd, gone, we'd gone to implane so many times that by the time this operation came up, we're like, well, we'll go anywhere. We've we, we got to go. We're sick of being cancelled and all that sort of thing. So, I mean, the average paratrooper in those airborne forces wouldn't have, about a f- two-thirds of those operations wouldn't have known anything about them at all because a, a, most of them didn't go any lower than core or divisional level in terms of the planning. Only about... I think it's about four or five of the operations did the troops actually get to the airfields uh, or get in the planes. So so this has been exaggerated a little bit in the retelling. Possibly. I mean, in terms of the effect of actually going to the airfield and getting in the plane, not every operation at all. But in terms of whether they heard rumours, whether they, they probably knew they were being held back for something... Um, there's probably an element of that, but I think that, as, as we've talked about, the historiography suggests that it really, really burnt away at their morale. Yeah. And it, it obviously did, but because um, you do find moments where Browning had to go and address units to try and essentially stop them, you know, sort of... Um, Overheating. Mu- yeah, mutiny yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, because they, they traditionally, traditionally had disciplined problems in parachute battalions, didn't they? Yeah. That they were often very unruly. And, and, the, and the, the original intake, first parachute brigade intake, is full of people who fought in the Spanish Civil War and all sorts of, all sorts of desperados. And then, and then when they do the thing of, you know, 4th Parachute Brigade have real... Pro- Hackett has real problems 
I can't I can never remember which battalion. I think it's one five six. Where they go on, they mm-hmm. they go on strike. Yeah. He has to put a new commanding officer in. The whole thing falls apart. I, I can't yeah. remember. If it, or it's ten. My grand my granddad was eleventh battalion, right. and they they did the same. They, so it was eleventh. Um, that's that's yeah, who it was. Yeah. They, I mean, morale had got so bad. I think the thing with eleven battalion is they'd been scraped together basically yeah. from people that were available in mid- the Middle East. My granddad joined because um, he'd been in a convalescence depot and. Um, his, his battalion had gone to Sicily and he was just sort of left and they sort right. of, you know, joined the, basically, I don't think he volunteered in inverted commas almost, um, but they did have huge, huge morale problems. And who had he been serving with before? 10th uh, Berkshires. So that's 56th yeah, division. Yeah, before, before, yeah and, and 156 were, had come from India or something. They did, yeah. Yeah so, so, yeah, so 4th Parachute Brigade is a real stuck-together mishmash because that's the other yeah. thing about 1st first Airborne Division in 1944 is not 1st Airborne Division from from 1943, is it? Well, no. changed so much. It's it's just a, yeah. it's a complete. It's like a completely reskinned or rebadged organisation, isn't it? Yeah. And they've lost so they lost. You know, first parachute brigade have had a really rough time in North Africa. They've had a really rough time in Sicily. in in Sicily. First air landing have really been through the mill as well. Mm. Um. So really, although it's called, I mean, this is the other thing is it's called first airborne division, but it's never worked as one as such and does one exercise I think yeah one exercise wasn't it I think it's exercise mush, mush yeah. and I think again 4th parachute brigade were originally intended to be an independent brigade yeah. and then the role gets switched so they had that independent thing and because the, the units are scattered all over the East Midlands or even down to Salisbury Plain so unlike most other divisions they've never had the chance to work together yeah yeah which is the which is then probably what leads to three brigadiers arguing with each other about seniority, it, uh, you know, yeah. on D plus two at Market Garden or D plus one at Market Garden. It's, it's, you know, when the second lift arrive, Hackett goes and throws his toys out the pram because he's been a brigade a little bit longer than Hicks, who's a First World War veteran. I mean, it, But he's also at, been on Sicily. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you look at that and you think, what on earth are you people doing, like arguing mm. over things like that? But, but, but this, is, this is the interesting thing, isn't it? Because it's... There are so many factors in the, in, in, that swirl into the narrative of Market Garden that often are in that first chapter in a book and aren't really, you know, I, I wonder what the rivalries were. I want, you know, Urquhart, after all, he's always talked about as a new boy. And you sort of think, well, yes, to an extent, but you're all new. None of you know what you're doing. And he's very, very experienced battlefield commander with a multi brigade and all that sort of stuff. Yep. But is he... Whose guy is he? He's not. Is he Browning's guy? Who who picks him? Who inserts him? Where does he come from? You know, uh, in that respect, I I haven't found anything in the papers about where Urquhart comes from. I think the the submission, um, the historiography surmises that he's uh, a Montgomery appointment. Yeah, it's a Mon- 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 which Protégé. it does seem it does seem to fit. Um, and Browning probably acquiesced um, tactically, um, but also because he knows that Urquhart is doesn't have any airborne experience it means that browning can almost try and be the de facto commander of first airborne division and there's all this stuff about why down who was commanding the division is sent to india when that maybe not might not have needed to happen yeah yes because yes because down is down is shunted off to form a an an indian parachute division you know because that's what you're good at is raising this thing and uh, but does that then mean that urquhart has um 
is he edged out by Browning? Is he part of this the, this endless planning, or is he? There, there are instances in the planning where they're having planning conferences for operations where Gavin and Taylor, as the divisional commanders for the Americans, go to meetings, and Brown um, Urquhart doesn't because Browning goes instead. Cool. Um, whether that's because at that point the Americans didn't have an airborne corps, possibly, but it does it does fit into the the narrative of Urquhart being sort of rather micromanaged a little bit. We just need to take a break now. We'll be back in a second. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. We're not talking about Market Garden. That's a promise. Yeah, I mean, Urquhart is a, is a... I mean, he's pretty experienced and he does really well on Sicily when he's commanding the multiple brigade. Yeah. He's got more... Regal Buto and all the rest of it. You know, he's, yeah. he's tough and he's good and he's, you know... Yes, he's got all the battlefield... And he does his jumps, doesn't he? does his jumps, doesn't he? No, no, no. No, no he doesn't no, no. do no, no. those jumps. He goes in a glider, he says, I can't do that, I'm too hot. Yeah, I mean, he's That's right. He's too does, old and he's he? too big yeah. um, to be messing around with parachutes, really. And, that, yeah. he's, 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 and isn't he, is he Indian Army before that? Or have I imagined that? He was Highland like Infantry. Yeah, That's he was, right. and yeah. he'd been in Malta. Um, was he at Dunkirk, something like that? In 1940, I can't remember what his background is. No, but, but he's, no, he's, he's, he's he is you know he's a pretty experienced commander. That's yeah. No, he'd come back. I think he'd oh, already come back from. He'd come. He was in, but he. Uh, I I can't remember. But he what he was was he was in the he was in the, on the south coast after Dunkirk, working in uh, uh, Court Montgomery's Eye. Yeah, and Court Montgomery's Eye working in someone's headquarters. He likes to cut off his jib. He likes to cut off his jib. Thinks he's an efficient chap. Mm. Um, uh, you know, and he likes regimental soldiers as well, doesn't he? He likes people who are in tune with their regiment, that, yep. that idea. Mm. And, it, and But, you know, he crops up in David Niven's um, uh, uh, memoirs on Malta playing cricket yes. and getting pissed. So, you know, drinking gins and tonics mm. and stuff. Yep. But, but, but is it, it... Oh, God. It, I mean, for those who don't know, what sort of things are these operations then that, that are being planned? So you, we took, we've touched on Hands Up, which is, what, to help Patton break out... That's to try and capture um, Kibron Bay in Brittany, in so Brittany, to, yeah, to secure it as a port. Right. One of the things about Brittany is that the Allies don't really seem to be able to agree a firm policy for how we're going to capture Brittany. Because they're all festungs, aren't they? They're, you know, they're, they are, they're, they're yeah. Port fortresses. Yeah, so they, they, they discuss um, beneficiary at St. Marlow, hands up at Kibron Bay and sword hilt at Brest. St. Marlow they get quite reasonably quickly. In quite early August, I think it was like the eighth or ninth of August, something like that. Yeah. I mean, the the the, point, the problem with these ports is is that to go into Brittany, you're going away from where you need to be going, which is heading east and north. Yeah. And so the decision is that that's just a waste of of manpower because we'll just isolate them because we'll, we'll cut off Brittany, so we don't need to worry about it too much. But we yeah. do need some troops in there, and you know, maybe we can do this sort of coup de man operation with airborne troops. Maybe we can use um, the French resistance, harness it, and send in second SAS, which I think is a French SAS, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, and um, you, you know, get them to kind of you know the, the resistance to do a lot of the hard work, so that we don't have to siphon off our you know that whole supply chain doesn't have to sort of veer off to the west in, into Brittany when when everything's trying to go, go eastwards. So you can see the, the thinking behind it. Yeah. yeah. So those three there. So yeah, you've got wastage and tuxedo, which were conceived very much as wastage. Um, some of these code tuxedo. names are brilliant. I'd love to know where the code names came from. Wastage doesn't sound good. But those were conceived as reinforcement operations immediately after D-Day. So they're not really airborne operations as such. They're more about getting reinforcements in if the weather disrupts the seaborne. 
and reinforcement. So, so top up. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, the planning for them was so light that they were... The first one was for 4th Brigade to go on their own, and then the second one was for the division. Effectively, those are limited by the ability of the troop carrier aircraft to turn around yeah. and so patch themselves up. Um, but for one of those operations, they're told, um, we don't know where you'll be dropping, we don't know when, we don't know who you'll be working with. You'll either find out on the airfield or on the drop zone. God, bloody hell. Um, so it, it, it doesn't take a genius to work out. That's probably not going to be, you know, very enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've been, been thinking about, though, since you've been God. talking, is that, that obviously, you know, Market Garden was, you know, one of the big issues is the, is the shortage of planning time. But, you know, hardly any of these had long planning time. Even D-Day, the American operations were changed right at the last minute, weren't they? Yeah. Because it was going to be together and then they kind of, you know, they were going to be split either side of the peninsula, well, some peninsula, and then it was kind of, so 82nd was moved completely. Yeah. Right. At the, I mean, that was yeah. sort of a, about the 28th of May or something. Yeah. I mean, some of them were very long in the planning, actually. Axe oh, were they? Head, okay. well, Axe Head, which was the that. planning for the Seine crossing. Um, the Canadian Army are asked to start looking at that in March. Um, so how you're going to cross the Seine. And, ha- and one, of, one of the great misunderstandings about a lot of these operations is almost if you see them as airborne operations, it kind of misses the point because the airborne operation is only ever part of a bigger plan. Right. And um, Axe Head, for example, at times they're discussing having an amphibious landing um, north of Le Havre. So these are much bigger operations. Okay, so but there's quite a... Okay, so but there's, I suppose my point is really there's quite a lot of sort of thinking about it and deciding and then changing right at the last minute and then finally going for it. I mean, obviously, you know, the airborne operations of... There was a long planning period for the airborne operations on D-Day, you know, from February onwards, really. Yeah. Um, but the point is it's constantly being tinkered and changed and, and the final plan doesn't come through until right at the last minute. I mean, so the idea of sort of hustling in an airborne operation is not entirely new to Market Garden, is it? No, not at all. I mean, some of those operations... I think Linnet is a good example where... Um, Linnet 1 is cancelled because the troops advance past the dropping zone and Brereton tries to switch it to the age Maastricht area and um, Browning threatens to resign because they won't have enough maps in time and Brereton doesn't see a problem with um, dropping <laughs> troops without maps um, okay. in, with, a, with a day or two's notice and they have this big um, big disagreement which does, does affect the, the atmosphere God I mean that, that Hackett I remember, there's a thing he says, you know, airborne soldiers served up like garnish. Um, uh, after, you know, they, they make their grand plan and they serve up the airborne soldiers like garnish. Sometimes it does sound, I mean, it, it does sound like that, doesn't it? If you're going to think of dropping a division of people without maps, you're not, you're not I mean, how, or, or are you suggesting that to get it cancelled, you know, because you don't think it's worth doing? Yeah, it is bizarre because some of the operations... The intelligence, um, whether it was correct or not, is hard to tell, but some of the Brittany operations, the intelligence was fantastic. The intelligence dossiers are huge down to where the post office is uh, and <laughs> things like that. Um, whether it's correct or not, who knows? But it's probably due to the resistance in Brittany. But then for other operations, you've got practically nothing. Um, but you do get a sense that over time, it becomes more and more about the, the planning yeah. and developing a really nice, neat plan, um, particularly the air forces who... Yeah, they want to avoid flak as much as possible, and they want to deliver a nice, neat drop. Yeah. Um, and the, what they actually, what they're actually going to do when they get on the ground, does start to become a little bit less, less prominent. Partly, I think that's because Brereton takes over in August, and he's an airman, 
you know, he's, he's very much an airman. Um, so the, the air side of things becomes more and more important as the campaign drags on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's so, right, so how many, how many more are there? Because there's so, <laughs> so we've, well, because I want to get to the magic number, 17. So um, we've had Wasted Tuxedo, Wastage Tuxedo, Wild Oats, which, we, which is, which is mm. Carpique, isn't it? Yeah, Wild Oats is essentially Ville Bocage yeah. um, Max. Um, so originally Wild Oats is going to be 7th Armoured Division advancing like the original plan, 51st Highland possibly coming from the other side of Com, yeah. except that didn't um, transpire. And then the 1st Airborne Division were going to land around Everese, um Hill 112 area. But they were only going to land once 7th Armoured had actually reached that drop, the dropping zone. Right. So in a lot of the history, histories, um, people equate Wild Oats with Arnhem and that they were going to drop this airborne division and they were going to have to be relieved. They were only going to drop them once the tanks had reached the drop right, zone. It was a sort of maximum infantry top. Yeah, it's kind of like um, giving them infantry quickly. God, blimey. Yeah. <laughs> So what was the Brittany one called again? Um, you've got Hands Up, which is around Quiberon Bay. You've got Beneficiary, about St. Marlo, and then Sword Hilt, which is looking at Brest. Yeah, I think we're up to eight now. Uh, That's eight. So where are the other... So, um, yeah, so there's Linit, and then there's Linit 1, Linit 2. You've got Linit 1, ten. Linit 2. You've got ten. You've got Transfigure and Lucky Strike. Which What's Transfigure? Well. Transfigure, well, um, Transfigure is um, around Rombouillet, so that's closing the Paris-Orleans gap. Yeah. Um, and really, that's a, an elaboration of Lucky Strike, which is a bigger strategic. So they're effectively the same operation in terms of how it affects the airborne. Um, right. You've got Boxer, which Boxer. is in the Pas de Calais. 15 now? 15 now, yeah. Um, Infatuate, which was yeah. about, walk, about Walkerin. Yeah. Um, Comet. And there's also Operation Reinforcement, which does pop up in some um, histories, which is about... Um, Effectively, where the 82nd Division were going to land on D-Day, it's about putting a, a cork in the Cotentin yeah. Peninsula. But that's that's only a very brief discussion at several headquarters for a day or two. Gosh! But when when you think that the that 17 operations, that's over the course of um, three months. Yeah, when you when you do the maths, that's quite, and a lot of those operations are overlapping in the yeah. planning. So you've got staffs who are planning three or four operations at the at the same time. God, so there must have been, in the air planning, there must have been sort of, you know, template planning, though. You've got like a, you've got a cookie cutter that you, you go, all right, we've got to move a brigade. So uh, yeah. we'll, 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 do, we'll do it in, you know, style alpha. And then, you know, if we've got to move a division, we've got like beta as a way of, and, and but the, the issue is the routing and the, and the, the where you're actually going rather than yeah. anything else that you're, you're set up for moving large numbers of people. Yeah, a lot of the planning is definitely reused. I think a lot of the planning documents that they did use for Market Garden did have Linnet and Comet on and were on struck, them, yeah, out. struck out. Yeah. Um, so, it, so you know, they weren't planning each operation from scratch. They were reusing. And things like, you know, flak maps of Northwest Europe, you know, they're essentially Comet and Linnet and Market Garden, they're looking at using the same routes. So, you know, a lot, a lot of the planning is, is reused. God. Which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, just thinking of all the, you know, people clacking away with typewriters <laughs> uh, coming up with this. I mean, it's a big operation, isn't it? I think that's possibly the biggest impact. Um, if you're a staff officer in one of those headquarters who's involved in that planning and you've got three or four operations that may or may not happen at the same time, um, it's, hard, it's not difficult to see how that's a, that's a lot of pressure. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, not... 
not all of them by any stretch of imagination, but quite, quite a number of them are quite close to the sea, aren't they? Um, particularly in the early years as well. You know, all those ones in Sicily, it sort of slightly begs the question, you know, why deliver them from air when you could just deliver them by sea? Like the, you know, like the SRS were mm. um, and Sicily, Paddy Main's lot. Well, I mean, this is the thing we keep coming back to. Well, it's lack of landing craft. But, yeah, but, but, yeah. but, you know, is, is, there, is there an alternative for, you know, a highly trained, highly motivated volunteer force such as the airborne, but not dropping them out of aircraft? I, th- I think that's the dilemma, isn't it? Because they're trying to find a suitably strategic and, you know, a, 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 an operation for them that's really going to deliver... Um, the benefits of having them but then they're also they don't quite know how to do it safely right um you do find in some of the other operations there are amphibious elements so one of the i think it's hand uh, no it's beneficiary at st marlow um some of the gliders were due to land on a beach um, right. so one of the beaches was identified as a landing zone and that there's all these discussions about when high tide was so, you know I, I, i'm not sure landing in a glider on a beach is really um that smart an you know, idea. On, on most people's you know sort of lists God. um so yeah there are some some very bizarre things going on but this i mean one one question this uh, springing to mind now is do the airborne because they're having to do all this massive planning turnover do they have more planning people than a, than a normal uh, division uh, infantry division would be complemented with, or or is it? Uh, do they develop a yeah. specialised planning unit, um, or is it? Or is it, is it just, just the same as? Is it the same same as as everyone else? If anything, it's less than because um, airborne corps wasn't established as a, an active corps. It starts out as an administrative headquarters, and over the course of the campaign, uh, morphs into an airborne corps. Um, they're completely under establishment for um, pretty much everything, particularly signals. That's one thing that um, does transpire right. in Market Garden. They're constantly sending memos to um, try and get more signals personnel. Right. Um, and it's similar for Brereton's um, First Allied Airborne Army as well. Um, when Market Garden's happening, he's still messaging Washington and Eisenhower saying, we haven't got enough staff to do what you want us to do. And, and it's only six weeks old anyway, isn't it? By it is, yeah. When, when Market Garden go, goes ahead. So it's, you know, the, 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 the letterhead, the ink on the letterhead hasn't dried really, has it? And, yeah. And, and he hasn't, they, I mean, it's a hell of a way to shake down an organisation, isn't it? To take on all these massive uh, potential operations and then an actual one that yeah. you enact. Was First Airborne, part, I mean, Sixth Airborne, part of the Allied Airborne Army? Technically, yes, but they're, they're brought this back. This is the thing, isn't it? Technically, yeah. yes, but no, not but really. But not, yeah. really, not really. So you've no. got, so, but, so on paper, you've got four divisions. They're all doing exactly their own thing, under the cobbled together under an army. But there's none of the co sort of um, there's none of the glue that you would normally have that would keep an army together. No, not really. I think um, I think that the thing with the first Allied Airborne Army as well is you've got. Um, army personnel and you've got air force personnel okay in the american army they're the same thing but you've still got people with very different backgrounds and then you add the national aspect where technically first alloyed airborne army is an alloyed formation but it's something like about 75 percent american so you've got all of that that stuff going on as well which mirrors some of the stuff that's going on with chafe and 21st army group um so between all these headquarters that have all got a finger in the airborne pie it's a wonder that they managed mm. to plan as much as they did, to be honest. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you've got how interested or not, Twenty First Army Group is in in the airborne aspect of the planning, isn't it? Because because after all, these like you say, the airborne the airborne elements of army plans rather than rather than self contained airborne 
plans, but you've is everyone talking to each other? Because of course, there's that thing with Varsity, where you know they, they run that great big smoke screen over the drop zones for 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 weeks before before plunder goes ahead, and somehow people at Six Airborne don't really know about the 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 smoke screen, and so the glider landings are much more difficult because no one's really t- it's not so all been ju- it's not all been joined up, yeah. and so they, they, there's this weird thing where they're they're sort of semi-detached, aren't they? Even though actually they need to be as integrated as anybody else in the planning. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's one of the overriding things for me is that there are so many dots that don't get joined up. Yeah. Because there are so many headquarters. Pretty much everyone in every headquarter in theatre has got a role in these operations somehow and trying to square all of that must have been an absolute nightmare. Yeah, yeah. And then you've got people like Browning insisting on landing his headquarters i mean you know then you get into that yeah i, I mean, mean you, you mentioned earlier why why the coup de main from comet doesn't roll over to market garden it's maybe because those gliders are being are delivering browning's yeah, headquarters quite possibly and browning's headquarters does grow for each of these operations you can actually almost see here the, the glider count growing each <laughs> each time <laughs> extraordinary god it's all so interesting isn't it yeah 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 and all these things that because because you do wonder because you do read the thing again and again and again. You, you you get is we were so fed up with being cancelled. We just wanted to go, so we didn't examine that plan too carefully when it when it came. It's the, you know, and you get generals, brigadiers saying that about Market Garden, and people a lot lower down mm. the food chain. The plan is nothing to do with anyway. That mood, they talk about that so much. That must be an effect of it. I think it must have been. Yeah, I think the average paratrooper wouldn't have been briefed for a large number of those operations, but they must have known. Yeah. Knowing what armies are like and rumor, the rumour mill and knowing that there's this campaign going on. If you're the airborne division, you know that you you know what kind of role you're probably going to yeah. be lined up for. So they, they were I mean the the incidence is in morale starting to suffer. It's it's not surprising really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, it's all so interesting, isn't it, Jim? Yeah, 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 no, it is. It's absolutely amazing. I, I just, I, I'm constantly just sort of questioning, was there an alternative way of using these forces? You know, is there, is there a different way? You know, what, what, what could and should they have done differently to what they did? Or is it just, you've, you, now you've formed it, you've got to use it, and it's about learning on the job? Well, I mean, one thing it does is it takes, if you look at D-Day, it takes pressure off shipping, doesn't it? Is that, yeah. is that by being able to deliver, you know, yeah, and it's, it, and it's, four or five thousand men by air on the night of D-Day. It's also incredibly successful on D-Day. Yeah, but yes, it is. But 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 I think they, the thing both, all, both ends they do exactly what. what they, yeah, but they're they also relieved do. within twenty four hours, so that yeah. so that that you well, know, eighty second airborne isn't. I mean, you know, they're kind of yeah, not quite. But, but you know what I mean. It's all it's all, and also. I mean, I always think six airborne. You, you look at what they achieve; they, they achieve all of their objectives, but none of it goes according to plan. Mm. So it's the it's that peculiar. <laughs> no, but but as long as you can, as long as you do achieve it, yeah, yeah. that's fine. You've got yeah. the you've got the high ground. You've yes. blown up. You've blown up the bridges over the River Deve. You've secured the the bridges over the Orne and the and the Con Canal. So that's tick tick yeah, tick. But, but the thing about that though is, your plan. Then you go in. We're talking about all this planning. There's there's got to be an assumption that things don't go according to plan. Uh, baked into all of this planning. I mean, uh, w- remember when we were talking about um, Market Garden and the drop zones, and you said, well, you know, they always, ex- you plan these drop zones, but you don't, if you're an airborne soldier, you don't expect to land on them. You don't, no. you, there's no expectation that you're ever going to be delivered by the Air Force to where they 
promise to deliver you, you know, which is the experience of D-Day, the experience of Sicily you know, and North Africa. I mean, North Africa is even more ridiculous where they're literally leaning out the door and being asked to pick where they want to be dropped. Yeah. You know, um, that, that's what Hill, Hill does. Mm. You know, he's literally told to, told when you get there, when you get to the rough area, have a look out the door and decide where you want to jump out of the aeroplane. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's obviously a different is, beast because it is you know, insane. But, 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 but there is the expectation that you're not going to land, you know, that, that, they're, not, that, they're, that they're planning these things and expecting them to go to plan, mm. given all their experience, I think is quite, that's quite interesting too, isn't it? It's sort yeah. of naive in a way. And I think that gets even more of a problem. When the plans get bigger, they involve more headquarters, they involve, you know, seaborne, airborne, ground forces. There's more that can go wrong. Yeah. And there, there are more things that if something goes wrong, then everything else goes wrong. It just gets to a point, and you do notice that in the planning. There isn't really any thought for what what happens if... You know, this doesn't happen. It's just, yeah. it's, there's such neat, tidy plans that there isn't really much wiggle room. Yeah. I mean, you look at, well, you look at the, um, I mean, it's the thing we, uh, that, that thing that the, the colonel wrote about Pegasus Bridge, where they, you know, the, the sappers go, they evaluate the, the load bearing of the bridge. They've got stuff with them in case the bridge is blown. There are boats in those gliders and all that. And you feel that for D-Day, there's an awful lot of plan B, plan C, plan D built built in for overlord that maybe starts to vanish as they sp- as they're speeding up their turnover and also the optimism of uh, it's all going our way is the other big part of this isn't it i think so i think there is that element of um yeah all we've got to do is land some of the operations particularly when you get towards um transfigure linnet there you do start to see the phrases old men and hitler youth and things like that they do right. they do start to creep in or um, I think the phrase is, you know, stomach battalions, that sort of thing. Mm. And, yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're not not deliberately downplaying, but they're not playing up either. The, you know, it's the, they, are, they are almost an afterthought. God. And I suppose the other thing is, is that, you know, because, because the D-Day drops are successful, although not got according to plan, you know, there is a. There must have been a sort of growing confidence in the ability of airborne operations to, to work. Yeah. I mean, even if it even if it does all go to shit, it doesn't matter because they because these are our elite chaps. Well, these are our elite chaps, yeah. and they can think on their feet, yeah. and it'll be fine. Yeah. I think one of the sad things about looking at sixth airborne versus first airborne division is that their lessons learned from Normandy, they're not really able to do that till they get back in August, which means that those lessons aren't circulating until September, which is too late for Arnhem. Although one of the lessons they're really, one of the things they're really asking for or talking about is we want to land, we want to know where we're going to land and we want to land together yeah. and we don't want this scattered drop stuff that we had to put up with, mm. we've had to deal with twice now. Um, and that very much leads to the picking the drop zones for Arnhem, doesn't it? Is that, is that, and you know, they all, I mean, interestingly in the accounts, they all say it was like an exercise, you know, everyone was in the right place, we all formed up perfectly and... Uh, blew our horns and off we went to battle and that aspect of it that all goes that all goes perfectly and in fact the air component of day one of market garden is a, is a, a roaring success and if you're the airman you're going you know job yeah. done what's not to like yeah i mean ginkle heath almost feels like it could be an exercise area in britain doesn't it yeah yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, an, it's like an exercise area yeah completely yeah yeah yeah, what's so good about this is this is the throwaway paragraph, you know, and uh, yeah, 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 and, and, and 
digging down a little bit. So Tuxedo, all this stuff, you, this is a question of going to queue, is it? And, and just getting all the files on these particular, yeah, these particular yeah. I think operations that never happened. And there's a big buff-coloured folder of a ribbon round, tied yeah, around it with a string yeah. and undo it. And there it all is. There are all the plans. There's yeah, all the, all yeah, the this has been about correspondence. Se- this has been about seven years of going to queue. Some slightly rusty little... Um, Paper clips and yeah, 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 and I think I think one of it's one of the things that I always think about D-Day. People, we think we know everything about D-Day or about Arnhem, mm. and we know lots about some parts of it. But there really are a lot of sources out there that people haven't interrogated or looked or even looked at in a different way. You know, we've only really scratched the surface of a lot of our understanding of these these campaigns. You know, it's a shame really that we often recycle a lot of the same stuff. Do, do, yep. do the same names keep coming up in these documents? Do you see the same staff officers, their names come through? Yeah, yeah, very, very over frequently. Over and over yeah. again? Yeah, yeah, very frequently. People at 21st Army Group, um, people like Belgium, Richardson, they're very involved in passing comment on what's going on. Um, Walch, uh, Airborne Corps, who's um, trying to you know, bring some order to Browning's ideas. Um, it is... It is the same number of people that are doing a lot of the work right god how interesting because they're always just planners in the they're always the planners mm. in books aren't they in, in yeah. accounts rather than who they actually are where they've come from what their experience is mm. and obviously what this workload must be like yeah i mean it must have been exhausting really because these are just the airborne operations they're probably looking at Everything countless else. other stuff as well yeah 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 oh, yeah wow, mm. wow fantastic are you writing a With, book about this? Yeah, the, the plan is write a book about the, the this. Plan, yeah, the, plan, the plan is for a book. I've got a draft ready. I need one more visit to Q, one to IWM, and I need some stuff from the Eisenhower Library, which obviously the last year or so has been quite difficult yeah. to do all of that. I've um, been there. I've been there twice. In yeah, Abilene. Yeah, very helpful. Kansas. Very helpful. Very, they're charming people. Yeah. I mean, it really is a kind of you know, it's a bit of a one-horse town. Yeah. Mm. But lots well, of railroads well, crossing over the middle of it. You know, in the middle of the night. I mean, he's absolutely, you know, you hear what the those trains. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think it's sort of, you know. Well, thank you so much. Um, I, I, I can't wait to read this. Because I, I want to know what they all, I want to know what. What they were all thinking. Well, but those characters that, that you, you re, if you read Arnhem accounts, you read about the same people over and over again. I don't know what they all thought of each other. No. There's never, mm. there's never any glimpse into that. I don't know really what. What, how Urquhart and Hackett actually got along, or how what, what they actually made of each other, and you know, because this, this, this Urquhart, Urquhart calling Hackett a broken down cavalryman at one point is the thing that's always mm. quoted, but but I don't know when did he say that in what context? Mm. Um, it's like the bridge too far comment, isn't it? There's no there's no proof for it. Yeah, running around mm. like a wet wet hen, that one as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, all that. And I, well, my big point about all these one-liners is that they, they're invariably taken out of context to yep. fit a particular argument. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, and you really, you know, and a lot of them are written in diaries at the kind of, you know, end of, the, end of a long day. And you really yep. need to see what they're saying the following week yep. or the following day as yep. well as on the day that that piffy one-liner comes out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Good stuff. Amazing. Oh, oh, we're slowly, we're getting there, aren't we? We're sort of unpicking it slowly but oh, surely. God, we've, got, no, it, we've got John McManus to come and talk about Gavin at some point. It's the, yeah, but it's this thing. It's that, <laughs> as ever, the, the more you start to learn, you realise how much... Uh, there's still to go. There's still to go. The more you know, the realise... You know, it's the unknown unknowns, even. Mm. Anyway. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks very much. No problem, yeah, thank James. you. Yeah, thanks, James. Absolutely brilliant. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Cheerio. Cheerio. Cheerio.